We're now in chapter 10 of 2 Samuel. This David series is um, at the peak of the golden era and David's triumph. And at the same time, chapter 10 is a transitional chapter going into now downfall and tragic failure and incoming troubles. So the three words actually uh, describe the second Samuel of big perspective. Triumph, tragedy, and troubles. We're still on the last chapter of David's triumph. Here's a quick overview as we begin. Chapter 10 is a peak of David's successful military campaigns. A small, little, timid Israel has become powerful nation and has proven to be powerful nations, nation in among the many uh, nations threatening their safety. In chapter 8 and 10, uh, similarly uh, connected, some scholars will say uh, chronologically it's probably with chapter 8 or before chapter 8, but there is a reason for biblical author, humanly speaking, that he put chapter 10 here. Because chapter 10 um, is a part of God's blessings on David's kingdom through God making covenant with David. The Davidic covenant, part of it was uh, giving them rest from your enemies. And there's a little bit of paradox, rest and fight goes along together. And the reason being, the chapter 10 being here, placed in here is because it is the setting for coming two chapters. The, the very famous story of David and Bathsheba and how he deals with confrontation by Nathan the prophet. Chapter 11 and 12, the whole three chapters are actually uh, sit with in the context of this setting in chapter 10. And lastly, it is not just a war story. Uh, and once again, it's not there for the moral lessons but it is there to give us valuable lessons for spiritual things, risk-taking faith and spiritual warfare. So this applies even for us in today's world. The story is fast-paced and very uh, tense in some sense. And I got up early in the morning. I just couldn't go back to sleep, and uh, my mind was on Hurricane Irma. 
and just watching the live update and, and just feeling the vulnerability. I, I think some of our friends live in Florida and Robert and Kelly just moved to Atlanta, Georgia. So they would be impacted in, in, in two couple of days as well. Uh, one million lost the power. So they're, they don't have any kind of way to really uh, sustain the normalcy of their lives. And, um, and then we all heard about what happened to Mexico several days ago, a few days ago in this week. But today's passage is also crisis for Israel uh, as a nation. And let's take a look at the story first, and we'll draw some uh, lessons from it. Chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servant to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Anomites. But the princes of the Ammonites uh, said to the Hanan, their lord, Do you think because of David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain at Jericho until you, your peers have grown, and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rohab, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate and the Syrians of Jovah and of Rohab, and the men of Tob and Makkah were there by themselves in the open country. You see, what's happening is the well-meaning, pure condolences were distrusted. So what was the reason why he distrusted and became so cynical? And one might think that um, 
those who are not trustworthy are always thinking about cunning schemes. In, in, in return, they tend to not to trust people too much at all. The trusting problem residing in their character issue. But what David really meant was hesed. The word here, I will deal loyally to Hanan. And same thing as chapter 9, the previous chapter, the kindness shown to Mephibosheth was the same word hesed. Covenantal love of God. The love that is loyal, the kindness that has deeply ingrained in the covenant of love. So to Mephibosheth, when David showed the kindness, his response was humility. He, he even called himself a dead dog. Why would you treat me like this? It's such a grace. But unlike Mephibosheth, Hanan's response was distrusting and insulting. And then even if he distrusted it, this is really not a prudent response because his simple act of insult because of his pride brought a war against them. Um, what's up with this uh, David's loyalty to Hanan? A pagan nation, and Nahash was uh, known as a very notorious evil leader of the day. And chapter 11 of uh, 1 Samuel actually uh, introduced King Nahash as an as a invader, intruder of, of the uh, Jabesh Gilead. Remember King Saul, young Saul, who was enthusiastic back then with justice, took the courage and defend the city for them, delivered them out of Nahash's uh, hand. But how did Nahash somehow showed a kindness and dealt loyally to, to David. And I think it makes sense. One of the commentaries mentioned that uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That rule applied to him. So David being chased and being enemy back then of, of Saul he befriended to him, and maybe the kindness exactly, I don't know what that would look like, but maybe helped him to stay, uh, help him to hide out somewhere. So by the time when Nahash died, he was sending a condolences message to keep the loyal covenant. And he's still the covenant, covenantal king. He's a king of Hesed love, and he deals with justice, justice and, and uh, fairness with his own people, and he's doing the same thing, but and yet this really backfired on him. 
the question that comes to our mind is, uh, did David do the right thing? Yes and no. Why? Because when you think about the son of David, the New Testament, Jesus, the Messiah, how he dealt with it, he turned the other cheek. But this David has a two-dimensional uh, meaning here. The two layers of meaning, once again. One is David is merely sinful man. He's not the Messiah. He's the type of Christ that is coming. His son, who is Jesus Christ, will reign forever and ever. So because of that, to retaliate it. But and yet, God, in God's sovereignty, Israel, the nation of Israel, was strengthened in here. But in, from the New Testament's point of view, the Jesus that we know of Sermon on the Mount had dealt with continuous compassion and mercy without retaliating. So I want to make that clear because one of the wrong applications we, we could do is take this kind of passage and justify our military actions for any and any nations around us. Continuing the story in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 10, <coughs> this simple tension between David and Hanan is escalating to a bigger war. Uh, verse 9. When Joab saw that battle was set against him, uh, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. I just want to make just parenthetical remark here. So basically, um, King Nan, Hanan, brought the reinforcement from from Syrian army. So when Joab and his army went down and sent by David, they were basically outnumbered and surrounded. In front, there's Syrians. In, the in front, there's Ammonites. And in the back, there's a Syrians. They're being sandwiches. This is a very, very difficult crisis for them. So with that tension, let's read that. Verse 10. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. If the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. When, they, when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise 
fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shabak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with them. And the Syrians fled before Israel. Then David killed of the Syrians the man of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shabak, the commander of their army, so that he died there. When the all kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Wow. This, this is a really exciting story. Almost the story makes us automatically visualize things. And Joab is not really known as a pious, godly leader and spiritual leader for this occasion, and this occasion especially, especially setting aside, his leadership stands out so clearly and such a good example. What would you do when your men are surrounded in front and back and the enemies are being pressed their military, typical uh, successful military action and strategy is being sandwiching your enemy front and back. And Joab, instead of shouting in panic, retreat, he steps up even more so, and then his call was fierce attack, but very uh, well-planned attack. Remember, David sent whole army of mighty men. These mighty men are notorious, I mean, well, actually, good, in, good sense, well-known for mighty warriors who, are, who were gathered even in the times of Odalum Cave, who came to David when David was nobody. They became Adullam community. And many of them are so well known in the other scriptures, First Chronicles and First Sing, writes about them, and they were there. And Joab goes, the best man of this, I'll take the difficult one. I'll take the Syrians. Bashai, the rest of them you take. If you need help, I'll go help you. If I need help, you come help me. But now is the time that we stand up. 
and be courageous. Courageous for the people of God and city of cities of God. And that's not it. If you remember what he said is, at the end of his speech, he would say, in verse 12, I'm sorry, be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Wait a minute, Joseph, Joseph, aren't you supposed to say be courageous because God's going to give us victory over this? For sure, I have no doubt whatsoever. That wasn't it. May the Lord do what seems good to him. This is actually the, the faith response we need to have, we ought to have, when we are in crisis. And there are several passages throughout the Bible, the faith that looks very courageous and with no compromise had this attitude. Remember Esther who said, if I perish, I perish. I will go to the king for our nation Israel because they were... Uh, Conspiracy happened to all the Jews were almost uh, annihilated. But as the queen, she's going into the presence of king without any permission. If the scepter of the king is not raised, she could get killed immediately. And the, her concern is, her concern was, Pray for me, fast and pray for me. And I will walk in and God will surely deliver me. For sure, I will not die. No. If I perish, I perish. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego is the same case. God will deliver me, but even if he doesn't, in case God's sovereignty beyond my imagination, understanding if that doesn't happen. Nevertheless, King, I will let you know we will not bow. The Apostle, Apostle Paul, when he heard of a clear prophecy, if you go to Jerusalem, that you will be tied down and you will be persecuted. You, be, you will become just like this. And he said, even if I go, I am ready even to die for na Jesus' name's sake. So he was not a clueless, so no, just wishful thinking. But he said, there is a persecution waiting for me, but it will not stop me. Because, listen to this. The best and safe, safest place that we can be, you and I can be, is in the nucleus of, nucleus of God's will. Not in the 
not in the outskirt of barely making it, oh, I, I, guess, I guess I'm not violating God's rule. But in the nuclear service, doesn't Joab's speech remind you of something? And of course, for those of us who remember um, Braveheart and he, the awesome speech that he will have, right? That the intensity and inspiration is there. But if we think biblically, I think of Moses, who spoke to his successor, Joshua. And Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you, leave you or forsake you. I think Joab had that in the back of his mind. One of the most damaging perspective of most popular harmful theology in our nation, in our generation, is prosperity gospel. If I do this in faith, God has to respond the way that I'm asking. So there is no failure as long as you have faith. There is no reason why you have to doubt whether your cancer will not be healed, whether your financial difficulties will not recover, because God is mighty. But what happens is, when we are demanding in our spirit and God becomes a means to an end, a servant to our needs rather than God who is sovereign, who has wisdom over all things, including the things that we cannot understand, the pain, the suffering, the disillusionment. What we can hold on to is this kind of risk-taking faith, knowing that he will never leave us and forsake us. When the missionaries take a risk, uh, just this week, without revealing too much details, and Boy and Cindy has been hit hard one of their kids are sick, and, and Bo, Cindy's parents are visiting, and they're very concerned. And the thought of they're coming back, just pack up and come back home, is the typical thing that we could. We, we love them, we care for them. But what would that look like if we really truly believe that God is sovereign? There is no one, no thing bigger than, than God. 
and his sovereignty and his goodness is forever. Can we go dangerous places? Can we take risks? Yes. I've already said it, and let me repeat one more time. Um, there's a school of thoughts in the you know, American evangelism that take this kind of passage and make a parallel application of America with Israel and asking God to be with us no matter what military actions that we might take. And that's absolutely dangerous. In our daily lives, I think most prudent application is our spiritual warfare. And when we think about spiritual warfare, we have crisis. It's like Joab and Abishai who are surrounded by enemies. In this free country, the spiritual condition of our nation, the crisis of Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, needs a wake-up call. Rarely call. So in light of that, let me present just three simple applications before I close. Number one, lesson number one is we are to respond to God's headset message through Christ, Christ's message of love, not like Canaan, which is in distrusting rejection, but like Mephibosheth in humble trust. James chapter 4, verse 6, 7, to, uh, 6, 7 and verse 10 says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We have same message of Hesed sent by our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a two option. We could pridefully reject it, become cynical. Who would believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and then you could go to heaven because of Jesus, what Jesus has done. I'll tell it to the children. Come on. And you could be very insulting. There are plenty of people, not just the atheists, even among the Christian world, who undermine the message of the gospel, God's headset love, a simple gospel. But we could take it, receive it, with an open hand, as Mephibosheth did. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are at envy of the robe, because that's our true condition. Without God and God's grace. Some of us, yes, I humbly receive Christ. But what about today? Have you become cynical when you read scripture? Yeah, this could good to be good to be true. Of course, there is a crisis in, in our own spiritual condition. And there are reality of pain and confusion for some of us. I'm fully aware of that. But would you turn to Christ? Instead of fist, open your hand. Help my lack of belief, Lord Jesus. The way we deal with the scripture shows the way we would think of Christ's intention for us. Lesson number two, we are to be vigilant in fighting the good fight of faith in everyday spiritual battle as a way to continue to rest in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if we apply this whole thing today in our spiritual battle, the first thing that we need to do is open our eyes, really begin to see the spiritual reality. Sisters and brothers, I, I, hear me out. Even at our church, there are crises. Personally, as a church level, and if you look at uh, our church, we're doing well, financially doing well. We have a zoning issue, but we're not being get kicked out next, next week. Those are not the real crisis. The real crisis is the cunning schemes of the devil comes with discouragement, dis- decoys, and many of several of our families are impacted by trauma and tragedy and deeply going through heartening grief. And their perspectives of God can change. Some of them became cynical because of their financial problem or marital problem. Some of us became disillusioned. What good is it that I keep on reading Bible? It doesn't make any my life better. You see, the evil one 
Satan is an angelic being. He is far smarter than our own mind. So if, if we just somehow allow grace to open our eyes and begin to see, as in like matrix, and begin to, Neo begin to see things, and we will be surprised. And this is the time that we need to wake up. Why? Not because in the third world uh, there's a demonic presence and all the demonization is happening, but in right here in Orange County, different kind of spiritual warfare. The sleeping dust of affluence and comfort. So we want to protect our kids. Nothing wrong with that. But protect our kids for the sake of what? In spite of what? We become uh, seekers of safe place, safest place to, to live, the best school to be educated. And once again, the, the evil one scheme is that the spiritual things really are not that important. Put that in your back burner. You know, our church's vision is nothing but just being the church with saltiness. Saltiness means spiritually vital. We are deeply alive with the Christ, Christ things. The transformation is real. Our crossway story is because of the transformation has to be ongoing. And as your pastor, I plead with you. We are at war spiritually. The first thing that we need to do, because it's not against spirit, uh, spirit against the flesh and blood, it's not picketing outside, it's not going to government offices, it's not going to some kind of a march, although sometimes that may be necessary, but mainly it's a subversive war, a prayer, full of prayer will require us to spiritually stay awake. So this is uh, your pastor's call. Moved by this passage. This coming week is the last week of fasting and prayer chain. And I say, let's get on with it. Let's be men and women of God who fights the battle on our knees, opening our eyes widely to the spiritual battle. Not only pray for our zoning issues, but the Thailand medical team and the, the, the corners of our church who are brothers and sisters and families are especially struggling the enemy's lies and deceitfulness will not impact them. It will not gulp them up. That our church will be spiritually vital. That we are full of Christ's life. Not the religiosity. And that, that leads to lesson number three. We are to take risks 
courageously by faith together. That phrase is intentional for me, for Christ's kingdom and for the glory of God. Take risks courageously by faith together. As Joab said, what would that look like for us? First, we uh, need to think about our value system differently. And I, 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 have, I have a concern for the mainstream culture in which we live constantly points to comfort and security, right? Now, of course, we need to be prudent people and we need to provide a nice and very healthy context for our kids and our family, which is good. But when you think about sovereignty of God, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. With all the security system, all the protection, prevention we might have, still things are up to hands of the sovereign God. We might not have a Hurricane Irma or Harvey. Someday, earthquake might happen in California. So what I am suggesting is that we think of our Christian life without the boundaries of paralysis of comfort and security that we would actually take risks for the cause of Christ. So the medical team that we, we sent, we go with them. That means every day we ought to pray for them, especially even the, as they're departing and they're making connection, connecting flights. And it's a two-day trip to finally get to what, where they have to be. And it's in the jungle. And then I... I talked to a couple of brothers and they had to get several vaccines just to be be prepared. Let's pray for them. Let's also think about beyond the boundaries of OC rule. Instead of overprotecting our children, we ought to pray courageously that God would use our kids our children, our youth, our grown adult children as well, for his glory. I think about um, some concerns that I have for my four boys and especially when I think about Soren's bike accident. Uh, I like to keep him right next to me. And uh, as long as we could prolong his drive license, I'm willing to take him anywhere. But part of the obedience of taking risk is releasing him to God's hand. And many of you, your children are more precious than anything else. 
and then you are at the fork of road, whether to take risks for the cause of Christ and believing in sovereign care for your children, and that you step out of the center seat and let God have that control in your finance, your time, your talents will be allocated differently, wouldn't it? And even uh, Jay's going to make an announcement about just reminder of what leadership has called them, the giving to Hurricane Harvey. And you, you might think that, oh, what's going to happen for, there's an Irma going on right now. It's a national disaster, they already said. It's, a, it's no ending, right? But maybe that's the, the, the tension that we have to live in. What does it look like to, to live out risk-taking faith? Not reckless faith, not blind faith, but take risks for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God that we will actually boldly make a statement of compassion. I close with this quote from Henry, uh, Matthew Henry. He writes, note, commenting on uh, Joab's speech before the battle, he writes, note, mutual helpful, helpfulness is brotherly duty. If occasion be, thou shalt help me, and I will help thee. Christ's soldiers should thus strengthen one another's hands in their spiritual warfare. The strong must succor and help the weak. Those, who, those that through grace are conquerors over temptation must counsel and comfort and pray for those that are tempted. When Joab saw the front of the battle was against him, both before and behind, instead of giving orders to make an honorable retreat, he animated his men to charge so much more furiously. Be of good courage and let us play the men, not for pay and preferment, for honor and fame, but for our people and for the cities of our God, for the public safety and welfare in which the glory of God is so much interested. He piously leaves the issue with God. When we have done our part according to the duty of our place, let the Lord do that which seemed to, to him good. N let nothing be wanting in us, whatever the success be. Let God's work be done by us. And then God's will be done concerning us. Not thinking that our valor blind, binds him to prosper us, but that still he may do as he pleases, yet hoping for his salvation in his own way and time. That's a good reminder and call 
and the prompting of the Holy Spirit for each one of us and as a church. And my prayer is that this week will be um, our church is rising up spiritually and going into the spiritual battle on our knees for our brothers and sisters, for our entire church, for the zoning issue. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this reminder. And we know that what's going to happen in next chapter in David when he relaxed himself a bit too much and became complacent. The yesterday's grace didn't protect his today's temptation. So God, we pray that you will wake us up. Give us a genuine revival in our hearts towards sin and toward temptation and toward cynicism and unbelief and demandingness unresolved conflict, unforgiving hearts, and apathy. We pray that that you would begin your good work in each one of our hearts. And as we turn the tide in spiritual warfare around us, may your church be beacon of hope and with the full saltiness and brightness. So without you, Lord Jesus, our commanding officer, we are afraid. We're timid. We capitulate into our own self-protection. Call us to take risks with our faith for the glory of God, for the cause of your kingdom. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.